Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. As the hours go by like minutes As I lie best for all Our time is like sand in an hourglass Once it's over you can't go Give a chance that you can. You may never get that chance again. So, why's I sing the song?
everyone. That was Dylan Westmoreland's single, Take Life As It Comes, off of his new EP. Remember, I'm here. Hi, Carl. Hi, Greg. How are you guys doing today? Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, Nicole. You know, and th- that guy has a pretty interesting story, doesn't he, about how he got to do that? He Tell, tell us the story. He does. So we found him on Instagram couple months ago. Um, he's just kind of someone we were looking at just because he had been saying he was going to be coming out with an album. So we were kind of interested in like what, what was going on with him. Um, but Dylan is actually in the United States Air Force. And at the time that we started talking to him, he was stationed out in Saudi Arabia. And what was funny is he was basically talking about how he was recording all of these songs and figuring out how to get his album out. Um, and really persevering through all of that because he got... He's planning for when he gets back. He's right. planning for when he gets back. Um, unbeknownst to him, when he, all of this happened, COVID also happened. So his deployment got extended indefinitely, which for any service member is always heartbreaking because you you try and make plans and you try and figure out what you're going right. to do when you get home. And uh, you know when you have an end to all of this, it kind of gives a little bit of hope that you're not going to be stuck there forever. So he actually then, knowing that he wasn't going to get home in time to actually record this album, uh, had his uh, microphones and his equipment all sent over to Saudi Arabia. And he recorded in the tents and the things that they had over there just to be able to get the sound down. And once he did that, he sent it off to a studio, I believe in Tyler, Texas, to um, master and remix all of these things so that when he finally did get home, he was able to release this and dedicate so, the entire album so you, to so military to service songs. members. When you're listening to these songs, don't mind the explosions in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, but he has a great story just because it, it goes it's, to show I, I, that like- That's interesting, right? It's really no, cool. No matter what life throws your way, you can always get stuff done if, you, if you're really dedicated to the dream that you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think it really speaks to like the commitment and the resolve that artists take. And sometimes creating isn't as easy as everybody thinks it might be. And I think it it shows that you can get creative in any type of area that you're in, regardless of the circumstances. Yeah, it just kind of underscores the importance of music discovery, too, because a lot of these projects, I mean, we, we complain all the time about how with digital, I mean, like everybody's in the game, everybody's making an AP, everybody's out there promoting what it is that they've done. And so it makes the discovery of all this music difficult because there are thousands and thousands of recordings out there. Well, fact of the matter is that there are so many great stories out there about people persevering and get and getting things done seems to me that uh, that makes music discovery that much more important and we should be finding this stuff looking for it and uh, happy to feature that track let's talk about the uh, okay i'm ready now you're ready now are we about wait, 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 wait. go ahead are we about to talk about the question of the week You finally got it right. It only took how many tries? Fourteen. Fourteen tries. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. So what is the question again? So the question that we have this week, and we had two pretty decent answers that we're going to feature from our listeners. But the question of the week was, what was your motivation to pick up your first instrument? And and as always, Carl and I can't remember our first motivation. for No, but I, 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 I do know my. Like I, I know my story. Should I tell mine? I would say, I would tell yours because you told us a little bit about it a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's just interesting. When I was really young, about eight years old, I remember my mom 
she was an orphan, my mother, right? Anyway, when and when when she finally, you know, met my father, when we got she got married, moved out to Long Island, to the suburbs. You know, she she always read about you know being well rounded as as a, as a person. So she gave me tap dance le- lessons, and she wanted me to learn a language, and she thought I should play an instrument because I'd be popular at parties and I'd get a musical, you know, she was kind of cool that way, you know? So she goes, what do you want to play? And because we didn't have a lot of money, she couldn't afford a piano. And I didn't want to play anything that I speak in my mouth. Like I didn't want a trumpet or a flute or anything like that. And cello and strings, I could care less. So I settled on the guitar. You know, three years I was forced to go to Mr. Chimelo's in Oceanside Music School <laughs> doing the, the, Al, the Al Bay book. What was it? Was that the book? And I hated it. Finally, I said, mom, can I Mel. stop this? I, Mel, Mel, Mel. Mel Bay. Right. Well, that's why I, it's probably I got the wrong book. I got his brother Al's book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm like, that's why I quit. So anyway, I kind of, I said, I, after, I think I was around 11 or 12, I said, Mom, can I stop this? I hate this. Going every day, I got to rehearse. I got to go back and boom, boom, farmer in the Dell, stupid things. So anyway, all done. Put it away, put the guitar up in the attic. You know, about two, three years later, so now I'm like 14, maybe. I go to Club Six. That was the big dance at the at the junior high. And I see my friend Mike Oxius. He's in this band, right? And I was in love with this girl, Leslie Bates. She was my and I saw her, and she was there. I'm there with my friends, you know. And I see her Google Google-eyed looking up at Mike Oxius because he's in the band. I go, hit us up wow. on Instagram, Leslie. Yeah. Well, th- well, this is it. This is it. Like, you know, the guitar, this is what's going to get me in. So, you know, this, uh, this has power, this thing being on stage singing. So I remember coming home. I was like 10 o'clock at night. I come home. I'm like 14. I'm up in the attic. She goes, what are you doing up in the attic? What was she yelling at me? I said, mom, where's the guitar? Where's the guitar? <laughs> <laughs> I went up that night and got the guitar and start learning like, you know, hang on Sloopy or some stupid song. And then and that was it. And, th- and that was the beginning of it. And then like, it, it just never quit. And as I got older, it just stuck. So so basically, for good or for bad, I owe my whole musical career to Leslie Bates. There you go. <laughs> Hit us up, Leslie. Let us know what you're doing out there. Yeah. Maybe what, you n- can n- answer our next question of the week. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nicole, do you play an instrument or did you ever pick one up? I did. So we found out, I think, in last week's episode that I have a twin. I forget if it was last right, week's or the week right, after. Right, We're peeling right, back the onion. Right. Um, so I don't know it, what it was like for you guys, but in our elementary school, when you got to third or fourth grade, I forget which one, you got to start making your wish list for the instrument that you wanted to play in band. Because fourth, fifth, and sixth, you were able to be in band and chorus and all of the fun things that the creative arts were able to bring us. So me and my sister shared a room and we decided that we were going to make our wish lists. And our wish lists were exactly the same. And what you don't know is me and her are very competitive, even though we were cheerleaders together and we played softball together and whatnot. Like there was always like a level of competition. Like we had to be better than each other. So I remember I changed my list because there was no way that I was going to play the same instrument as my sister. And she ended up getting the clarinet and I ended up getting the flute because of that. So I was a flautist for four years and then I stopped in middle school because then they gave you the option of like, do you want to continue with band or not? And I didn't. I personally like singing better. So I went on to just pursue chorus throughout the rest of my educational days. But I enjoyed it. I did not enjoy the band teacher though. I think she was kind of a little a little bit of a biatch. 
You know, it's it's funny. I think there's a sameness to to you know our stories because the you know the central figures in these things early on are usually the the music teacher, right? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't I did not participate in anything uh, related to music in in school. I was in all the choirs, but not because I could sing, but it took up a couple hours of the afternoon that you might otherwise have to be doing some studying. So so I got into the choirs and I, I was able to, you know, survive that. But I played drums since the time I was five or six years old. I took lessons. I had this at the risk of creating another Earl Gregory episode. Uh, I, <laughs> I had this uh, I had this. Uh, really amazing teacher. His name was John Roy. And I believe Mr. Roy is still playing and still active in the music community in Louisville, Kentucky, as we speak. And this is in the 60s, man. Back I don't know in how the old 60s in, in the 60s in Kentucky, all the pharmacies had drummers. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Uh, All the drugstores had a drummer in the back. That is a uh, reference to the ongoing argument that we have about organs in the 60s. But uh, no, so I took took lessons for many years, and that was really not, I mean, Mr. Roy was... (laughs) Mr. Every, Roy, de- every every dentist office had a banjo player. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was kind of interesting in retrospect because I'm sorry. you ahead. know he gave lessons at a place called Durloff's Music Shop in uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. Did you and, practice on drums or a pad? That's the whole thing too. Uh, well, there were two rooms, and you graduated from the pads to, to the, drum. the drum kit. Yeah, so I see the and, connection. That's why you have this this thing with the pad. Ah, there you go. Yeah, no. Uh, so it's interesting in retrospect. I mean, I, I think back, I didn't practice. I never practiced, and I was always disappointing uh, Mr. Roy. And Your rudiments. So, yeah, Your rudiments. Yeah, yeah, you were talking about Mel Bay. We had Haskell Hare. That's the name of the guy that created the Bible for early uh, rudimentary rudimentary drums, paradiddles and that kind of thing. Exactly. So, uh, but what I, what I discovered many, many, many years later was that Roy got uh, pretty uh, disgusted with me because I wouldn't practice. So we would go in, he would give me something to do and I'd leave and I wouldn't practice at all the whole, the entire week. Then my mother would take me back down to the basement where the drums uh, sessions were in uh, in Durloff's music shop. He would uh, lay the music out and say, did you have a chance to practice? And I'd say, no, but I'll give it a shot. Uh, I would play for a minute or two and he'd, he would uh, basically chastise me and say, you know, you really should practice. You're wasting your mother's money. He said, you should take 15 or 20 minutes to practice this and then you can play it for me again. He would leave and my mother and Mr. Roy would chat for the entire lesson. Uh, He would come back in and say, let me hear it. I'd play. He'd say, yep, if you'd practice, we'd, we'd have a much better time of this. He'd give me something to practice the following week and it would be the same thing over. Was he hitting on your mother? I can't say that he was, uh, but I know that he was uh, admired throughout the city for his um, drum lessons. So uh, I I can't go public with that scandal. 
<laughs> bring it out in the open, the, the Roy Drumming scandal of Kentucky. Yeah, there you go. Now, and so, uh, you know, and I, I never really liked the formal lessons. I mean, I played in bands and I, you know, I, I, I was interested in drums as, as an instrument. And I went as fast furniture. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, <laughs> later in life, you know, in college, you know, the the kick drum case became the um, the coffee table and that kind of stuff. You know, the beer all- pong table. The problem You're- with with drums is that for one, they're too much to carry. Guitar is oh, easier. It's incredible. Yeah, and so too much to set up. You know? the, weird, the weird thing about it is that while I played drums and I couldn't, you know, I'm completely immersed were you, in. Were you, any, were you any good? No, I think I was, um, I think I was absolutely adequate from the time I was, I think I was like a prodigy at age eight. Uh, and then by 12, I was pl- probably playing less than other kids that were more so talented you're like, than you're like a doogie hauser yeah so i, I just like <laughs> every you just catch up with just a regular person exactly i mean i played well when i was a kid and then you know by the time i got 16 18 i mean guys were just passing me right and left so I, i've always loved to play you know very odd thing that happened to me i, I hadn't played in 25 years and couple years back i started dreaming about playing and so i told my wife i said you know what I'm getting in damn drums out of the out of the uh, attic, and I'm gonna put them back together, and I'm, I'm gonna sit and play. Why wouldn't I? And you know, it's been so. Maud is your Leslie Bates. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I th- I do think we were playing out, and I was playing in bands about the time I met uh, Maud, my wife. But um, no, she's uh, she's always known that uh, the business side of things is really where where my interests lie. But I did pull the drums out. And I did play, yeah. and and I played exactly like I did when I was twelve years old. So there you go. Let's hear what um one of our listeners. This is Matt Stewart. Let's see what Matt Matt had to say. Okay. Hey y'all, Matt Stewart here. Uh, so to answer your question, what was my motivation for picking up my first instrument? I would say honestly, just being a fan. Uh, back when I was like 13, I got really into bands like Green Day. So I essentially just wanted to be like Billy Joel Armstrong and wanted to do the whole rock star thing. And uh, granted, I never really started playing until I got into college, but that want to, that desire never really left. And uh, so, yeah, I guess that's really why I'm doing what I'm doing now. And uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, I, I agree. It's like, you know, I don't know, but, you know, later on, I became, I, I got, I think I fell into what I believed. Maybe I'm fooling myself but became an artist per se you know got into lyrical and 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 being thoughtful and writing things but initially i just wanted to meet girls yeah i i never i I never had the notion whatsoever that you know being a musician was a way to get the the attention of girls uh, that's to me i i'm i'm completely there was no lofty deep profound anything to me being in this initially it was just because i wanted to plus i didn't want to work a real job you know <laughs> i'm serious oh, that's and, I, and the joke of it is i never really have you know in my life you know so you know so anyway no i think but that's a testament to you being able to like have your own career in like whatever way shape or form you you've actually been able to do it in so i mean knowing that you never wanted to actually have like a like a like by the book 9 to 5 career i mean you've been able to do that which i think is great and there's been some feast and famine years don't get me wrong but but i you know but hey but you're still here i'm still here you know you know whatever 
So when he let's hear someone else. I think another one, another artist, Kelly Jean, mm-hmm. answered uh, you know the question. Let's see what Kelly had to say. Hey everyone, this is Kelly Jean, and the trumpet was actually the first instrument that I ever picked up and that I ever learned how to play. And my motivation behind it was my mom. My mom was a music teacher, so she taught me how to play trumpet, piano, and she has been my motivation behind everything that I've done musically. Right now, I'm actually getting better at guitar. I know how to play guitar for songwriting purposes, but I want to become a much better guitar player so I can play with the guys in the band. And my first guitarist I ever worked with, Chase, um, he is in the band right now and my best friend. He has been teaching me to become much better at guitar. So I've been working on that and um, hopefully I will be a much better guitar player here soon. But um, my motivations for anything musically, I guess, has been my mom and the guys in my band and Chase. There you go. Are you of the opinion that uh, play great players are 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 just great players, uh, and you can practice eight or ten hours a day if you're a mediocre player, and you can get better and you can get good, but you're never going to be great unless your brain right. is pre-wired for it. Is that kind I, of your opinion? I agree. It's I I, I think it's, it's like being a comedian. Anything else, you either have it or you don't. And like, and that's what I feel. Like anything else, you can you know, hard work can get you so far, but then you to be really amazing at anything. There's that special little something that you have to have, and well, I think I think it's a combination of passion and skill. Like if you don't have both of them, and you don't have what you said, like the workings to make that skill a super passionate thing that could make you potentially great, you're never going to get to be part of the greats in that in that kind of skill that you're trying to do. But I but I believe maybe again I I do all these pronouncements, but you can have as much passion as you want, and have as much trying and rehearsal and 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 work on it as hard as you can but some people just will never get there right perfect story about you know it's in your fingers one day i was watching letterman and uh valerie bertinelli was on the show right and that's when she was married to eddie van halen right so she's on the show so david goes so how's eddie doing and she goes oh he's okay he's backstage and he goes um Oh yeah, why don't you have him come out? You think he wants to come out? She goes, Nah, I don't think he, he wants to come out. It's, you know, she goes, Nah, have him come out. So they they drag him out of the backstage, you know, to be on the show. So he goes, You want to play a song with us? He goes, Okay. So he he goes up to the to the bandstand. The guy gives him his guitar, and I see I see it's just a a regular Stratocaster with a wire plugged right into a Marshall head. There's no boxes. There's no nothing, right? Right. And then he starts like, you know, I see him doodle around with the amp a little bit. He starts playing around the guitar. He goes, okay. And they know everything. So he goes, let's do Panama. You know, that song, you know, and he starts playing Panama. And then I realized it's not in, in, in the studio. It's not in his boxes. That shit's in his fingers. Right. It's in his hands. Right. He, he makes that guitar. He made that guy's guitar sounds like Eddie Van Halen because it was in his hands. Yeah. And like, and then that's what I think it is. You know, you have it or you don't. Yep. I, th- I think that's true. I mean, I, for as much listening as I've done, I mean, it was obvious to me early on that, you know, there were guys playing things that I would never physically be able to play, even if I you know, even if I practiced, you know, eight or 10 hours a day, right. I'm just, those things don't occur to me. Those figures in, I don't hear them in my head. Therefore, how am I going to use motor skills to make it happen on the instrument? Right. I've talked about him before on previous podcasts, but I have a a, a really good friend named Gary Burke, who's just a world-class, you know, the funny thing is that if you go here, Gary play, or if you listen to the recordings he's played on, 
a lot of Joe Jackson recordings and 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 others. He played with Dylan with the Rolling Thunder Review. I mean, he's a really heavyweight cat. And the thing is that he just doesn't play a lot of licks. I mean, it's all absolutely 100% in the feel and in the time that he plays and how he measures time in the in the tune it is absolutely impossible not to nod your head and to be drawn in to the rhythm associated with what this guy plays and it's so cool you know and that's hard to, that, that's how i agree and that's he's hard not to flashy do. he's not flashy well that's know? the whole thing flashy yeah, people yeah, yeah. Well, there are people like who you listen to music or great bands and these guys are great drummers and you don't even know it because you don't even know they're there but you'd know if they weren't yep. you know and but they're just so solid in the background of what's going on and and that's what's great about they don't step on the song they know how to play they they they, they do what they're supposed to do they're not there to be stars you know that's that's the way with all rhythm sections you know if you if you go see a two-hour show and you don't remember one thing the rhythm section played it was probably a pretty solid show right because <laughs> because they're they, you know and then they're just they doing their that, job because they create a great foundation exactly. for the uh the, the singer and the, the song to to be i'll play another tune off of uh dylan um westmerlin's uh, new ep yeah let's let's do it this one's called uh, again. Also, all these songs were done in Saudi Arabia. All yeah, all of these songs were done in Saudi Arabia. Uh, this one's called "Best Friend." Sleep on a boat 
to love We still caught a few It seems like years since I've seen you I fell in love and then had to leave her You know I look to you for the truth I got your back, it don't matter I guess I don't need a text or letter Just want to catch up with you cello again so did he um he recorded the tracks there as well i think so like i i think he literally sent everything off like he recorded everything there and sent everything off back to the studio in tyler to just be mastered that's a, wow. that's that's an achievement that's really it's great amazing and also it's it's a test of the technology today where like you can do anything anywhere you know like uh, it's crazy, man. You know, that, that that whole thing about making recordings in adversity. I um have you seen the documentary on Crosby Stills Nash and Young? Which one? There's a bunch there's, of there's, uh, there's a bunch of them. There's one out now called uh I think it's called 50 by 4. Okay. I and, and I was it's like 3 hours long and I I got I went down the rabbit hole uh last weekend. Uh and I I was shocked at the number of times that that band that band is like you know, been on the verge of disbanding since the day they started playing together. But right. uh, uh, I was shocked at, you know, like at the seminal moments in their careers and for the band, they were usually just completely immersed in adversity. Uh, they, they had a, a record come out called Deja Vu. Right. Uh, and, and they went on the road. They went on a major tour to support that. And this was like 1970. And I think like 10 days after 
they launched this tour. They were all fighting. The band was ready to break up. And then Kent State happens. And so I think they actually came off the road and went back to California to regroup and everybody was in. Well, Neil, the story I heard about that is that Neil Young went out into the woods and just and just basically wrote the song and came back and they Ohio, just Ohio, Ohio, yeah. yeah. And it's like, and so, and then, and and then the you know the moment in which they you know persuaded one another to go into the studio and actually record this thing. It was so raw and so extraordinary that you know, but it's born of diversity. Like, you know, their second gig, their second gig together was Woodstock. You know, that's how, but I remember they were saying how like, he he tells a story. I I just read Graham Nash's biography, right? Right, right. And it's talking about how he was going out with Joni Mitchell, right? So they're, they're at, they're driving around, you know, in, in, in Laurel Canyon where they lived back in the seventies. And, uh, so they, they're on the way home from, um, Rainy cold September afternoon or something. So they stop off at this flower shop and get some flowers for the house, and and then they're gonna go into the house and then um with two cats in the yard, right? Right, and so he writes this song, <laughs> "I'll light the fire." Don't do and, that. And, Don't sing it. Don't sing it. But I'm saying he just actually did that song is actually just what they did. Yeah. They just came home. He lit the fire. She put the flowers in the vase they bought today. And it's our house. It's amazing. It, it, yeah, it, it really is, and it's and these like, are classic, iconic songs, and they're just little moments of people's lives. And they're and the, yeah, they're observations. Yeah, observation. It's super cool, but I. You know, I mean, when you look back, none of those records, none of those iconic records were made in um, uh, under the under the best of circumstances. Everybody was uh, really pressured and there was a lot of stress associated with it. Not to, Band on not the to mention not to mention the 72 hour sessions fueled by uh, sub- substances. Oh, right. They're all yeah. tripping and they're drug addicts. It's crazy, man. It's a, but those records, you know, listen to Sweet Judy Blue Eyes, you know. That is an amazing, well, I don't know what they were, what he was doing, man. Because if it's all that acoustic stuff with that weird lead, they were definitely like unique. Steve Stills is pretty incredible. Maybe a lot of it's kind of pales right now, but that stuff was, you know, you got to remember they came from Buffalo Springfield, the birds, yep. you know, yeah. um, all that's, you know, the hollies, all that kind of mixed together and like, it was an incredible time, the yeah. 70s. That's why I, I recommend that movie, Laurel Canyon. Yeah, that, that was cool. Yeah. Echoes of Laurel Canyon, you know, uh, that Bob Dylan's son did. I love that time. That was like a, that was almost like London in the 60s, you know, it was the same as like 70s, 70, 71 in like, you know, Laurel Canyon, because that's where the Eagles came from and Jackson Brown and Joni Mitchell yeah. and, and all those great bands. Corsals and Nash, it was a whole big thing that happened. And it was kind there. of a, it was, it was kind of a movement in that there was like this, such free collaboration. That's one of the things that, you know, I think is either we're going to get more of it by virtue of the fact that everybody's kind of sequestered or we're going to get less of it. I believe that collaboration really helps. You know, if if, right. if adversity can't kill creativity, then, um, you know, why would why would uh, collaboration? So I, I'm hoping that we get a whole crop of um, great recordings out of the next few years. So, well, we'll yeah, see. Anyway, you know, we, we we talked a pretty good a good amount. You know, we're 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 ready already oh, into wow. forty minutes. It doesn't even really? feel that long. So we're we're kind of done. You know, and it's you wanna... so damned entertaining. That's what's amazing. I know. 
Well, everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the 9420 podcast. If you go to the numbers 94 and the letters TWENTY.com, you'll be able to access all of the show, uh, the show links for this episode. Um, and if you want to learn more about us, you guys can search the website. Remember to follow us on the platform of your choice and leave us a review to let us know what you think of this podcast. And Leslie, and Leslie Bates, if you're out there. Just contact us. Uh, we'll this is going to be trouble. It this is, is going to be trouble. It is. We'll talk to you all next week. Adios. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.